eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Welcome back in to the Lions 24-7 podcast. I am Tyler Donahue. We have reached our previews and predictions po- podcast episode of this week. It is game week number seven for Penn State as they get set to host the Minnesota Golden Gophers. Saturday, 7.30 kickoff, whiteout atmosphere in Happy Valley. And boy, does Penn State need a pick-me-up kind of setting after what we saw transpire uh, last Saturday at Michigan. We covered that game ad nauseum early in the week with a couple podcast episodes. Started to turn their page with our Tuesday episode. We brought in Tyler Calvaruso to break down recruiting. Spent a lot of time talking about that whiteout recruiting list. That list continues to grow. Check it out. We're now into Thursday. There is a lot to look at with that list. It's gotten some impressive additions uh, since we had Tyler Calvaruzzo on for our episode earlier. We're going to shift focus forward now, give our predictions later in the show. Mark Brennan, Daniel Gallen will hop on board, talk about things from Penn State perspective, a little bit of takeaway from what we witnessed on the practice field Wednesday evening. But first, we get it going with some thoughts from Ryan Burns, who covers Minnesota for the 24-7 Sports Network, does a great job. He's been on this podcast in the past, and we'll get some perspective on this 4-2 squad from him right now. Ryan, thanks for taking some time with us uh, midweek here. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on to try and figure out what's going on between these two teams right now. Yeah, we've, we've got a lot to work with. Uh, they've given us plenty of content to to discuss, and it was much like for us here, a really strong September. You get to October unbeaten, and you feel like you can accomplish a lot. Uh, and then the wheels fall off a bit. We've talked about it from Penn State standpoint here recently on our podcast. And from your perspective, what has a two-game losing streak looked like for Minnesota? What has it exposed about this program? Well, it's exposed that this – pass catching core without their star receiver Chris Ottenbell who went down with a season ending uh, knee injury just prior to the Michigan State game um, that this receiving core in year six under a PJ Fleck is not where it needs to be or they're at least not executing at a level where they need to be because Chris was their number one receiver without without a doubt he was their best 50-50 ball winner he was their alpha and that's where you've seen it now the last two weeks without him I mean they Made they met out pretty good against Michigan State, which 
most teams, most passing games have done pretty well against Michigan State secondary. So then the last two weeks against Purdue and Illinois, it's just been – I know a lot of fans like to put it on the quarterback, especially if you lose a game. Again, I think it's just the way that people are kind of taught to watch football, but it's just so much more than Tanner Morgan. Now, do I understand that zero passing touchdowns and six interceptions in the last two games is probably some on the quarterback? Absolutely. But this pass-catching core is struggling to get separation. They're struggling to have anything resembling a contested catch. And I think the defense has played more than well enough to win both of those games. Maybe you can argue against Illinois, where they were on the field for 89 plays just one week ago. So we're going to see how that kind of factors into things. But it's the offense for me. Is on this two-game losing streak, how'd they get here? Well, it doesn't help that you don't have Mo Ibrahim against Purdue, but it's the pass game. It's the passing game. The one that we saw in 2018 when Minnesota played Penn State, they exploded with Rashad Bateman and Tyler Johnson, among others. Well, this is a very, very different passing game now that these two teams meet in 2022. Let's talk about the passing game, the quarterback situation, murky at best, I think at least through this stage of the game week, can you kind of shed light from from where that process is with Tanner Morgan? Scary situation last Saturday, him exiting the game the way he did. Talk us through what life would look like for the Golden Gophers Saturday if Morgan can't play, and if he is in action, what kind of a quarterback is he in year six? Yeah, so for those of you who didn't watch a Gopher football game last week, well, you missed a total treat as uh, just a 26-14 to 14 loss in Champaign to what is actually a really good Illinois team. But so Tanner Morgan in the second half was trying to uh, get a first down on third down, was running with it. And an Illinois defender went to punch the ball and he went about two feet too high with his swing. And Tanner Morgan caught a right cross to the helmet. And uh, from a six foot four plus 240 pound man, that's going to do some damage. So he laid on the field for a while. They were able to escort him off. He's then carted the locker room. He's then sent to the hospital during the game. They had to hold the plane so that he could fly home. And now he's a giant question mark. And again, Tanner Morgan has started a ton of games. It's the same kind of thing with Penn State with Sean Clifford. And while, you know, maybe Minnesota doesn't have as highly of a touted uh, number two behind him in Ethan Kaliak Manis, if it is Ethan, I mean, there's a lot of expectations for him. Uh, someone that was a four-star recruit for Minnesota just a couple of years ago. He's in his second year with the program. Um, you know, the the kind of nickname for him behind the scenes is the Greek rifle. So the issue is he's never started a football game at the collegiate level before. He's gotten in some garbage time. You saw him get in those final 10 minutes of the game and uh, throw a couple of picks. But the thing is going to be, if it is Ethan Kalik Manis, or if it's more of maybe a journeyman like Cole Kramer, who's in his fourth or fifth year with the program, they're going to be making their first career start. And, and it's in Happy Valley in a whiteout game with 100 plus thousand people screaming at them. Not exactly the best of conditions, especially with the way that the their pass catchers are executing right now. So if it's going to if it is Tanner Morgan, which I am a little bit skeptical now, P.J. Fleck talks on Mondays. And then he doesn't have availability for the rest of the week. And his coordinators will not talk about who's playing and who's not injury updates like that. So we truly have no idea. Uh, and there's no media allowed at practice during the week. So we're just going to find out probably 5.30 p.m. Central time if uh, Tanner Morgan's going to play. But if it's Tanner, you're seeing a guy that makes pretty good decisions for the most part. 
not the not the biggest guy, not the most athletic, but I don't really know what to expect if it's going to be Ethan because, again, he's bigger, he's stronger, he's got a better arm than Tanner, but the environment that he's going to have to play in against a couple of really good corners that are playing at a high level, I think, is going to be something to where I am very intrigued. This probably isn't the fair week to approach this topic, but because of the parallels between the situations, I'd like to. Tanner Morgan, it's beyond his control right now. It's a health situation. Uh, Sean Clifford, we also understand there's there's some kind of health situation in play, but there's also a clamoring here among the fans. Uh, There's been some calling out among the media, and certainly it's a conversation we've had in the podcast. Is it time to explore a different quarterback and what that could look like for your offense? Is there any kind of similar fatigue that has set in with Tanner Morgan, a six-year guy? And remember, we visited Minneapolis and witnessed what had to be Tanner Morgan's best game of his career against this Penn State team that was on beat in 2019. So that's really what we've seen of Tanner Morgan and what the Penn State (laughs) fan has seen. I know the last two years, you've seen a lot more. So kind of serve us up what it looks like on your end, because we've talked a lot about the QB1 situation around here. Oh, trust me, there's been people trying to bench Tanner. I mean, the Twitter eggs and the guys, you know, with the with the selfies, with the sunglasses on Twitter or even on Gopher Illustrated. I mean, nobody likes the starting quarterback. There's like four teams in college football that do. And I think one would be Ohio State. One's probably Michigan. Oh, I don't know. I think Alabama's okay with Bryce Young, I think. And then Tennessee with Hendon Hooker. Yeah, I think they're all doing okay. But for the rest of us schmoes, you know, Nobody likes the quarterback. Now, the thing is, you know, there's a lot of people calling for Tanner to be benched. And again, the last two games have not been great, but I just keep coming back to whether it's Tanner Morgan or Ethan or Cole Kramer, is that quarterback going to have the receivers get open? Is that quarterback going to make them make a contested catch? Are they going to help the offensive line block better? So trust me, it is the exact same thing. Uh, you know, Tanner Morgan actually prior to that Illinois game was the top graded passer in the Big Ten via pro football focus. He had like a 92 grade, yet everybody hates him. <laughs> so it and he's going to go down as one of the I think the winningest quarterback in program history. He's going to hold the all time completion percentage record amongst others. But again, that's that's football. The most popular guy on the team is the backup quarterback. And. You know, the question that everybody asks around these parts is, is Tanner Morgan good enough to elevate this team to the next level? And for Minnesota, that next level, I think, is defined a little bit differently than Penn State. For Minnesota, that next level is winning the West. And you look at the West right now, the two clear favorites are Illinois and Purdue, just like we all thought coming into the season, right? <laughs> so it's it's another year where three of the last four years, now we'll see how it ends out here in 22, but that it's been very winnable for Minnesota, and they just – They've had good seasons, but not great seasons to get them over the hump. So trust me, I I feel your pain. I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, And again, it's a six-year guy trying to hold off the freshman quarterback who's probably a little bit more talented, but I feel your pain. I'm going to take you back to 2019 one more time because that's when on Christmas week, at least from, from where I was, I was waking up in a hotel in Dallas getting ready to cover the Cotton Bowl in Penn State end of their season. 
Kirk Shiraka was supposed to be getting ready for a big bowl game with Minnesota, coming off an historic season, an historic run. And about two months after we saw him dial up a hell of a game plan against this Nittany Lions team and come away with a win that afternoon, all of a sudden he was the offensive coordinator of the future for Penn State. That lasted very little. He didn't get to have a padded practice here at Penn State, did Kirk Shiraka with this team until September uh, because of the pandemic. And then ultimately uh, a nine-game sample size of what they produced offensively was not enough to convince James Franklin it wasn't worth discarding Kirk Shiraka and pursuing a guy that he liked for some time in Mike Yersich. We've seen Mike Yersich 19 games now. The opinions are starting to set in there. We're starting to get more evidence to support some opinions about Mike Yersich. Back in Minneapolis, Kirk Shiraka, I don't know. I don't think he's going to go on the record with it. Maybe some of his players will this week. But what do you sense is the motivation uh, extra this week for, for KC coming into this one? Well, I would say Kirk would say that there's no extra motivation, that us media jackals are just trying to stir up storylines. But for him, it's hard. I, I just don't believe that. Because you mentioned back, back around that Christmas morning, like this was his dream dream job. I mean, he had he has his, I think his parents live in Pennsylvania. He's from Pennsylvania. I mean, he has a lot of history there and that Penn State job was one of them on a very short list that he would have left Minnesota for. And then he gets it and then to your point, he doesn't get a padded practice until September and then when it doesn't go well, he's just I mean, he's thrown to the wolves and he's fired. So I don't think that Penn State fans necessarily got a fair representation of Kirk Shiraka. I don't know that he necessarily got a fair shake. Uh, goes to West Virginia last year as an analyst before Minnesota brings him back after firing Mike Sanford, who is now the interim head coach at Colorado somehow. So talk about falling forward. So <laughs> No kidding. Yeah, but with a Kirk Shiraka offense, it's just it's RPO. And we know that, but... Again, Kirk's not going to come out and say like he's got a, a little extra motivation or this is a revenge game for him. Does he want to win this game? Yes. Do I think he maybe wants to win it a little bit more considering what happened in that 2020 season? Yes. Is he going to come out and say that? No. But again, I think Kirk's more worried about right now who's starting a quarterback and how do we get these pass catchers to play somewhere near an acceptable level that Minnesota's going to have a shot on Saturday. It sure seems like whoever is that quarterback is going to be able to turn around and give the ball to a very capable running back in Mo Ibrahim. Uh, when he's been available, he seems like an automatic 100-plus rushing kind of guy. The offensive line, uh, as discussed this week by Penn State players, by the head coach here, uh, a lot of respect for the size that the Golden Gophers bring up front. Can you break down this rushing attack? Uh, because Penn State's coming off a performance that they would love to leave behind in Ann Arbor. Unfortunately for them, it feels like they show up against an opponent that is really going to want to do a lot of the same thing stylistically. Yeah. Um, Minnesota, no matter who the quarterback is, and especially if it's going to be Ethan or, or Cole Kramer, they're going to want to give Mo Ibrahim about 35 touches. Now, I don't blame them because, you know, like I do, I mean, Penn State's run defense was just obliterated last week. They were mollywopped. I mean, whatever you want, whatever kind of descriptor you want to use. We've and used a lot where, of them on this show. We've used a lot of them on this show. Yes. Yeah. So that's where I, I think maybe just nationally, Mo Ibrahim doesn't get enough, you know, maybe praise. Uh, he's, this is a guy with over 650, I believe, collegiate carries. He's averaging 5.7 yards per carry. That's absurd. In this day and age of college football, to be able to do that, 
So you must think to yourself, well, if he's got 650 touches by over 5.7 yards per carry, he must be a home run hitter. The, he couldn't be further from the opposite. I bet you he runs a 4.7, maybe uh, you know, maybe a 4.8, but he is the king of yards after contact, and he is the king of falling forward. I mean, he is the one that keeps Minnesota's offense on schedule. And he, that's why you know I think he is someone that's going to have his number retired by the time that he plays his final game here at Minnesota. He has rushed for 14 consecutive 100-yard games in games he's appeared in. That is one away from the all-time Big Ten record, which Zeke Elliott at Ohio State set uh, just you know a handful of years ago. So the question is going to be, can he get that again on Saturday night in a hostile environment? If he does, how close can that get Minnesota? Because they're going to need a 200-yard game from Mo, in my mind, if they're going to somehow emerge from Penn State with a victory. But this offensive line, yes, they're big. I mean, they're old up front in terms of they got three different sixth-year guys on the interior. They got a, um, a right tackle who's already got his – uh, undergrad degree yet has three years of eligibility still remaining somehow. Welcome to the COVID year. And then their left tackle is someone they're incredibly high on. But this unit has been much better run blocking than pass blocking. And that's where I look at the pro football focus grades and I see that I believe four different Penn State defensive linemen have a pass rush grade of over 80. Yeah, that's going to give me a little bit of hesitation from what I've seen the last two weeks. Uh, Minnesota's right tackle is definitely a weak spot right now in pass protection. So the game plan for Minnesota should be give Mo 30 touches and really hope that they can hit some shots because if they can't and Mo can't get going, it's going to be a long night for Minnesota. Ryan, now that you have eloquently laid out just how many eggs there are in the Mo basket for Minnesota's <laughs> offense, what happens if something goes awry and he's not available? Where do we need to look in that backfield? Uh, you know, if there's a situation where he's got to miss a series or two, I know it's largely a one-man show, but at the same time, there's some really intriguing depth in that unit. Yeah, well, you're going to get to see one of Pennsylvania's own, Trey Potts, who's from uh, Williamsport, I believe. Uh, someone that filled in last year when Mo ended up tearing his Achilles in the opening game against Ohio State, played for three, four games, and he suffered a season-ending injury now. He missed last week's game with an undisclosed injury. Fleck said on Monday that he's going to be back, so he's probably going to be your number two in command, and that's where Mo is the king of north-south, and that's where with Trey Potts they want to get him east-west. Uh, he is someone that you're going to see a lot more in outside zone. You're going to see him maybe on some swing patterns, different things like that. They're going to try to get his – Get him the ball in space, whereas Mo, you want to get him between the tackles. So those would be the two. I mean, you might see number 21, Bryce Williams, in on pass protection down, so third down shots. But it's going to be a heavy dose of Mo. I mean, Mo only played – I mean, Minnesota's offense was only on the field for like 47 snaps last week. He only got 15 carries. Compare that to Chase Brown – who got 44 touches in a college football game in 2022, which is insane to me. But Mo is well-rested, and I think he knows that this is a very pivotal game, just like your fans do, just like Minnesota's fans do, for both teams' aspirations this year yet. There really should be nowhere to go but up for the Penn State offense after their last performance, but I'm curious when they do line it up and match up against this Minnesota defense, what are some of the strengths we can expect to see from the Gophers and what are some pretty clearly defined weaknesses at midseason that should be exploitable if Penn State can execute? 
Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. Uh, I would say that Minnesota largely, especially outside of last game, is really good at getting off the field on third down. They had going into that Illinois game last week, they had allowed in their first five games 10 third down conversions total. That's two a game. I mean, that's why Minnesota was so dominant in September. It helps when you score 150 points in four games, but they had only given up 24. And I think most of those points had come against the backup defense. So Minnesota is really good, at, at, in theory, outside of last game, on getting off the field on third down. Now, they struggled with that last week. Illinois went for it four different times on fourth down, and they converted all four times. And on those four fourth down conversions, those drives ended in 16 of Illinois' 26 points. So if Minnesota just gets off the field on half of those, maybe that we're, we're talking about a different game that happened in Champaign. But uh, they're good at stopping the run. They, they traditionally have been under Joe Rossi. But the other thing I note is explosive plays. Last year, Minnesota's defense was number one in the country at limiting explosive plays, so say plays of 15-plus yards. They've largely been pretty dang good at that again. Now, you saw them give up a 41-yard wheel route last week on a broken coverage, but they want to make Penn State's offense go 8, 10, 12 plays down the field to score. If they can do that, they'll, you know, Joe Rossi would tell you Penn State earned that. They can get those points, but it's those six-play drives that go 75 yards that really bug him, and largely Minnesota's been pretty good at making the opponent get into the double digits in terms of plays of drives uh, to be able to go score points. Penn State has really struggled to to, to establish and, and with consistency explosive plays down the field in the passing game. They've gotten some out of this backfield some from the freshmen, but it's really been an issue that has surfaced time and time again, Saturday after Saturday, becoming more obvious in Big Ten play. So it'll be interesting to see how, how those two facts uh, marry on Saturday between Minnesota's defense and this offense. Special teams, uh, what do we need to be aware of? Uh, any potential pitfalls for there uh, for Minnesota? Any special weapons that we got to be aware of? I chuckle because special teams has long been the bane of my existence uh, for, for go for football for the last handful of years. Uh, for the first time, and I had to look this up, for the first time in 1,069 days, the Gopher football team had a kick return go past the opponent's 40-yard line last week. Wow. It had been since November of 2018. So Minnesota had a 92-yard kick return last week from a guy who's about five foot five, very fast, by the name of Quentin Redding. It was blocked really well. Minnesota got it down to the four, scored the next play. But largely, Minnesota's return game has been – non-existent um you know the first three kick returns of that illinois game just last week they lost field position compared to a fair fair catch on all three yes they finally hit the home run but i mean there, there really isn't a punt return game to speak of um i think minnesota's kick coverage whether it's kickoff and punt has been really really good for the last two seasons now so we'll see if that continues to be that way minnesota's kicker has struggled um, you know, he didn't get a ton of work last week, but one of the reasons why Minnesota lost that Purdue game at home is he misses a 28 yard field goal. That can't happen in, in a close contest And there. And then their punter, Mark Crawford, who I believe is now 28 years old. He's an Australian punter. Uh, he's fine. I mean, he, he's not someone that is really adept at flipping the field. Uh, he's been pretty decent at terms of pinning guys inside the 20 when Minnesota decides to punt near midfield. But, I mean, largely I would tell you Minnesota special teams are nothing to write home about. 
All right, let's wrap it up with this. Uh, we are still a little bit away from kickoff here, but I know we're starting to come to our conclusions on where we stand with this game. Where's your head at with Penn State versus Minnesota? Um, and ultimately, how does Minnesota go to Happy Valley, pull off this upset if it does happen? Well, I'd tell you, I don't, you know, I know Vegas makes a lot of money every year. I just don't know how this game is only Penn State as we were recording this Penn state minus four Penn state minus five to me, that's insane um, because Minnesota's offense is just so one dimensional right now. And I just think about a Manny Diaz defense. And I think about, um, you know, just the way that both of the corners for Penn state are playing right now. I think both, I think you look at the pro football focus stats, neither of them are allowing over a 50% completion percentage against them. I think they've got 14 pass breakups between the two of them. And I just look at this game, and if if Tanner Morgan does play, which, again, I don't – if you had to ask me as, the, as we're recording this podcast, do I think Tanner Morgan plays in this game, I would say no. So you're telling me that Minnesota is going to be starting a brand-new quarterback in a 100,000 <laughs> – in a stadium that holds 100,000 people and a night game on national television, and your pass catchers aren't playing well, and you're not getting adequate protection the last two weeks. I I don't know how this game, like I said, is is minus five or minus four. Now, if Minnesota does pull the upset, I'll tell you, it's going to be because they get a defensive touchdown, and they're going to need Mo Ibrahim to absolutely go nuclear. I mean, they're going to need him to have 30 carries for 220 yards and and a couple of touchdowns, but. If Penn State can take Ibrahim out of the game plan, I mean, I just think it's going to be a long night for Minnesota. I just don't know how they get separation against Kalen King and Joey Porter on the outside because Manny Diaz, I just expect him to blitz the crap out of the quarterback and (laughs) put those corners on an island. And Minnesota's receivers have not shown the last two weeks that they can get off of press man coverage with any separation and that they can – and that they can catch a contested catch. I mean, that Minnesota in the last two games is one for 11 in contested catch situations via pro football focus, and I believe it. So I don't think it gets any easier on Saturday night, but if they're going to pull off the upset, it's going to be because Mo has a giant game. Well, he is Ryan Burns, does a fantastic job covering this Minnesota squad for Gopher Illustrated within the 24-7 Sports Network. Ryan, really appreciate you coming on the podcast. I know we've got some written content coming to both of our sites that we've been working on this week. So appreciate the collaboration this week, man. Yeah. Hey, anytime we can help out the 24-7 brethren, you know I'm all game for it. So I appreciate it. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Now that we have a better feel for what Minnesota is bringing into this matchup, let's focus on the Penn State Nittany Lions. And to do that much better, I'll bring in my colleagues from Lions 24-7. Daniel Gallen and Mark Brennan join the show once again. It's Thursdays. We had this conversation before all the games that Penn State schedule. And for the first time, we're seeing if the Nittany Lions can bounce back from a loss here in 2022. Guys, we had an interesting look at practice on Wednesday evening, as we always do. Another chance to speak with James Franklin afterward. And let's start with the practice session. Sean Clifford was present. Uh, Sean Clifford was participating in drill work that we saw. Um, so that clears something up in terms of his availability, something that we'll continue to monitor moving forward. But there's no getting around it right now, Mark Brennan. Mike Yersich was available. There's a lot of conversation about the quarterback this Saturday feels like one way or the other we're going to come out of this game with a better feel for what the move is uh, in October, November for Mike Yersich in the QB spot. Yeah, I mean, we're right in the middle of this. You know, we've been calling it the gauntlet all season long and, you know, go out and play the way that Penn State did against Michigan. It just, I think, amplifies the importance of this game. Uh, so you're, you are where you are. Uh, your quarterback has not played well the last two weeks. Uh, you have a five-star true freshman who uh, everybody kind of, I think, wants to get a look at. Uh, but I will say this, in talking to Mike Yersich today or Thursday, as we tape this, it's Thursday, you didn't get much of a sense that, that, that there's they're looking to go in a different direction. Now, having said that, I think if they were to go in a different direction, I don't think they were going to – they would be tipping their hand this week about it. So – all eyes are going to be on Beaver Stadium uh, during warmups. Uh, you know, dur during uh, when that first team offense comes out, it's going to be interesting to see how they go about doing things. But uh, we don't have a clear sense of what it's going to be right now. But this is a key key moment, obviously, for this for this season, and I think for the program in general. Daniel, I don't know about you, but something that stood out to me from, uh, I don't know, what is it, 15, 20 minutes with Mike Yersich, which we appreciated on a Thursday. Um, but something that stood out to me and, and probably is a clear point of frustration for Penn State fans is when he was asked to evaluate Sean Clifford's body of work this season. It was about Sean's experience and about Sean's toughness. And right now people are focused on the results. What did you make of that? It was a lot of focus on the intangibles, which have been kind of Sean Clifford's signature uh, during his time here, um, I think. But I thought it was pretty standard fare with, with what I expected to hear from Mike Yersich with, with how Clifford has played so far. I know that a lot of fans don't want to hear the the you know comments about, oh, he, we just need to see him keep improving uh, and you know and keep going. You know, he's a six-year quarterback, second year in the offense. Um, I think that we kind of expected that we were putting those things behind us. That was kind of the, a big talking point in, in terms of, of continuity. But I think overall, I didn't really hear anything from Mike Yersich that I wasn't expecting him to hear. He complimented Sean Clifford for bouncing back from his mistake in the Purdue game. And I think Yersich also kind of echoed what James Franklin had said, where Sean knows that their plays that he would like to have back after some of these games that Yersich knows it, Franklin knows it, Sean knows it, uh, the team knows it, and he just kind of keeps moving forward, keeps pushing on. So nothing really took me by surprise. I thought that he was pretty fair to Clifford. Um, I thought that he was really complimentary of, of Drew Aller uh, and his development. And 
um, before he he teed up any of his Aller compliments, he he made sure to to point out how the rest of the room um, was doing with Bo Perula and uh, Christian Veyer. So uh, nothing really out of the ordinary, I, I don't think. Uh, you know, I think some people would maybe like to hear something a little bit more uh, decisive or, or or sharp on Clifford, but I thought that Yurisich kind of laid out what we'd all been seeing so far. I agree with you. Very complimentary of of Drew Aller. Showing respect to the rest of the room, he also made some time to, to point out that that Christian, since that demotion to the number three quarterback spot, has really embodied what they want out of a quarterback room in terms of a guy who's being supportive of his teammates and competing every day. You know, he's a redshirt freshman now behind Drew and Sean on the quarterback pecking order. Uh, but let's face it, that for as much as we want to talk about other members of this quarterback room, uh, moving forward, uh, we think on Saturday it's still going to be number 14. It's going to be start number 40. Uh, and him and Mike Yurcich have collaborated in 14 Big Ten games where Sean Clifford has attempted at least 10 passes. Uh, half of those, seven games, they failed to reach 21 points. So we'll find out what, what happens in the next six games for Sean Clifford, for Drew Aller, for Mike Yurcich. But you get the sense that whatever happens next, uh, this is a pivot point, and we're going to start to be led in that direction by what goes down uh, in front of a whiteout crowd. Because, by the way, if things don't go according to plan for Mike Yersich company, I think the crowd will make sure that they uh, give their opinion on the matter as this you know, possession by possession uh, goes for Penn State. They'd like to avoid that. A hot start can do yeah. it. Sean Clifford can come out and play well. That'd be great. But, Mark, one other thing that we think we have to get to from this conversation, and, and it was a far-ranging conversation. We have a full transcript uh, that Daniel really quickly put together on lines247.com. Uh, a lot in there to uncover. I've got a story up on the quarterbacks, and Mark has a full video of Mike Yersage's conversation. But I thought his mention of going into game planning with the target of getting their tight ends heavily involved and being a, a key part of this offense and then you look at the results, the last couple games, six total targets for the tight ends, three catches. Tyler jo- uh, Theo Johnson, uh, Daniel wrote this week, has barely been involved, uh, blip on the radar in the passing game despite a lot of run. What did you come away from this conversation, Mark, thinking about Penn State's ability to rally a little bit and kind of reset things in, in their involvement of a room like that tight end group? Yeah, one last thing on the quarterbacks. Uh, I, I was a little bit surprised with his comment about Clifford. He does all the little things that a true freshman quarterback may overlook at times. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, he he was proactive in saying that. That wasn't something – he wasn't, like, baited into saying that. He proactively said that, and that's where – that's the one thing I took from, from his discussions on the quarterbacks that was a little bit different than maybe what we might have expected because – he, and he kind of dialed it back a little bit later when he was asked asked to follow up on that. But I, I think that was telling you that they are legitimately mo- much more comfortable with Clifford at this point. With respect to the tight ends, yeah, you know, I've been critical of them the last couple of weeks, and I was glad that question got in just under the wire. And uh, again, I, I thought it was interesting that it wasn't a very direct question. It was kind of an open question, and he went – to 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 this spot where there are things that ordinary fans may not recognize uh, that are leading to the tight ends not getting the sorts of targets. Now, I don't. I'm not saying you should agree with that if you're a fan or disagree. I'm just saying what he said. And one of the things was they have to help with the uh, w- with chip blocking, which to me w- was an indication that they're not getting what they're what what they want to get out of. Uh, the offensive tackle and probably 
one specific offensive tackle position because I think Olu's playing pretty well. And how when you go to play action, they're, they're needing the tight ends to block there as well. So, I mean, I don't think it took too much reading between the lines to say that they're really leaning heavily on the tight ends to help a struggling area of that offensive line. And to me, I mean, it sure looks like that right tackle position that just hasn't really, you know, they're kind of struggling for answers there between Caden Wallace and Bryce Effner. And that makes sense to me. I, I, I actually agree with them. With that said, you can't have that much talent to not get them the ball. You have to yeah. figure a way to get them the ball. You can't look at the numbers of targets that they're getting to their wideouts, who are good. And then, you, as you mentioned, you only get six. They only had two targets to the tight ends against uh, Northwestern and then four against uh, Michigan. Brenton Strange, who is arguably your offensive MVP right now, had, has four targets in the last two games. I think Tinsley had nine against Michigan alone. So they have got to figure that out. And I listen, I get what he's saying, but it's your job. That's why you're making money. Every OC in the country has to deal with these things. You have to figure out how to get those guys to rock. And when you've got the six foot six, 260 pound Theo Johnson, who still is the top rated recruit at the tight end position signed by James Franklin with this program playing a lot of football and, and practically a non-factor at all in any given game as a pass target two catches for I think 19 yards on the season on um, three targets um, that that's a problem that you're not just having to address right now for the sake of your program but you're trying to protect that brand that you have built at tight end and your ability to go out and recruit and point to the production. It's one thing to have a one year lapse. And right now, Brenton Strange, let's point out, he's got an opportunity to really build on the stats he's accrued, but that's tapered off a little bit in Big Ten play. Um, and I think you look at the depth of the position when you've got a guy like James Franklin telling us repeatedly over the course of a year that he feels like this room is as good as any in the entire nation at the position. All due respect to how you feel about your right tackle position, which you've been pretty aware of over the course of this entire year as you were putting together your game plan for the season. I think you still I just don't find that to be a a, um, a strong enough excuse or strong enough reason uh, to validate the the abandonment of the tight end position and the usage. Uh, I shouldn't say usage because they've been out there, but but the, the, the ability for these guys to get their hands on the football and make something happen when the offense has struggled to make things happen. I think, Daniel, another topic that, that we just got to get to before we turn the page and get into a preview of predictions for Minnesota, uh, Mike Yurchich did shed some light on what his interactions look like with James Franklin on a week-to-week basis when they're putting together a game plan uh, and about Franklin's presence in that. It's been a hot topic on our message board. It's been a hot topic throughout four different offensive coordinator uh, re regimes I've covered here with Penn State in terms of how much is Franklin factoring in over the course of the 60 minutes on Saturdays. Uh, what were your big takeaways from what Yersich told us on that subject? So it's along the same lines as, as the Sean Clifford stuff where, you know, I, I didn't expect uh, Mike Yersich to say that, yeah, James, James has his hands in everything, um, you know, that, that he's micromanaging things. But I also didn't expect them to say that, you know, coach is in there and he just kind of lets me do do what I want. Um, you know, he said that James Franklin is in every offensive meeting. Sometimes he'll leave a meeting um, if he has other head coaching duties. He has input. Um, and it kind of goes with what James Franklin said Wednesday night after practice, where he feels that he's a sounding board um, for Mike Yersich, for the coordinators. And Mike Yersich didn't necessarily use that phrasing, uh, but I thought that that was kind of the 
you could draw a, a connection there that, you know, he said that it's quote, a lot of supportive input and stamping out things that maybe he doesn't particularly care for, which is helpful. You got to let your ego down and put everything aside and be able to listen to everyone. Um, and Mike Yersich also said that it's similar to um, how it's been at Oklahoma State and Texas, uh, two, two of his previous stops. Um, so I think it kind of lines up um, with with what James Franklin said last night. What it actually looks like in the meeting room, obviously we're not there. Um, it would be nice to be a fly on the wall there, but I thought that that lined up, um, that they kind of lined up together uh, on on that front. And then beyond what it looks like in the meeting room, what does it look like on the sideline on Saturday when the real decisions are being made? It's, it's one thing to spend all this time game planning for what you'll do when a scenario is presented. But when you're facing it and the play clock is dwindling, what happens, who makes a decision and maybe what gets stamped out in the words of, of Mike Gerzard? I thought he talked a lot about the input. He also talked about some stamping out of things and you'd expect a head coach of a program like Penn state to have that kind of autonomy, but there's been a lot of discussion. I think lately um, just trying to parse through some of these offensive struggles and, and trying to figure out as people try to cast blame, where does it lie? And and if they come out of the gates and they struggle to put up points against Minnesota, go to this Ohio state matchup, it's going to be another vocal point, but let's get into this matchup because before we, uh, you know, say that Penn state's going to be sputtering out of the gates. Well, let's give them a chance here because they've got a great opportunity. If you're looking for some kind of reset after a moment that they endured in Michigan, it's the whiteout back home, the full support of your fans uh, and an opportunity to get right before uh, the Buckeyes come to town the following weekend. And Mark, let's begin with you. Um, whiteout games always take on uh, a different form because of the recruiting stuff. And we got that all covered at lines247.com. But to me, these are just hugely bright lights on one of the bigger pivot games that I can remember covering in James Franklin's Penn State tenure. Yeah, I think they're they're sort of lucky because if they were just playing another game this week, you wonder what the fan enthusiasm would have would have been i think with the whiteout it's kind of inherently built in that no matter what the circumstances people are going to be kind of jacked up about it and then you add some beer sales to it and you know maybe that <laughs> makes it even <laughs> a little bit more fun but yeah i mean in all seriousness i mean i think the ability to come back and have that built around it and as you said the recruiting hype um you know a nighttime game uh, i just think all of those things are a positive for this team in this moment. But to, to me, you can talk about the whiteout, you can talk about the beer sales, the hype, TV, all this stuff. I think it's all going to fall squarely on the veterans of this team. And I mentioned it in our earlier podcast. Listen, you know, they came out after that Michigan game and owned it. PJ Mustafer, his words, not ours, he was embarrassed. Uh, and you would imagine that that has kind of prevailed throughout the week to, to, to get that game out of your system and realize the importance of this game, given what happened the last two years. I like the leadership of this team just from what I've seen up until this point. But now we're going to find out all about it. Again, you could you got the whiteout. You got all this stuff going on. But at the bottom at the end of the day. If the leadership on this team isn't what we expect it is or isn't what I expect it is, I think you're looking for another, you know, very difficult situation the way you had the last couple of years. So this is a very pivotal game for this program, again, uh, not just for this season, but I think in terms of Franklin's tenure, the legacy of some of these players who have been around for a long time, 
Yursich, he has to start getting things done. This is a pivotal game heading into that. What's what looms a week later? And Kirk Shiraka taking on Manny Diaz and what that match matchup may mean on both sides of this. We've said it before. There's uh, with with Ryan. Uh, we're not sure what we're going to see from Minnesota at the quarterback spot. It could be someone making their first career start in this kind of environment. Ryan didn't seem optimistic about how that would turn out. Um, at the same time, uh, this is really interesting that the Kirk Shiraka dynamic involved here, guys, because uh, James Franklin and, and some players discussed it. it wasn't too long ago he was in this facility. Defensive players were around him on the practice field every day. James Franklin was, you know, making that input on the offensive game plan every day with, with Kirk Shiraka. And now, two years later, we know how it ended. This reunion and how it comes and, and the timing of it all, it just feels poetic in, in, in terms of the college football drama that we all come to love each and every fall. And, Daniel, what do you make of, of this Kirk Shiraka homecoming of sorts? He's, he's a guy that, as Ryan said, Pennsylvania native, viewed this as a dream job, probably wouldn't have left Minnesota for many opportunities. This was one. He gets a chance to come back here and, and go head-to-head -head with not just a very uh, respected defensive mind, but in a way with a guy who replaced him and the guy who ultimately convinced James Franklin that Kirk Sharaka was worth moving toward the exit door. It's, it's a fun subplot for Saturday. I mean, we have kind of the, the whole uh, trajectory of the season and the whiteout, and this is just another layer on top of it. And I think that it makes for something that is a little bit different, um, you know, a little extra intrigue, um, I guess is a good way to put it. But James Franklin was kind of asked about this uh, this week in terms of what kind of advantage do you get um, on both sides with what Franklin knows about Shiraka, what some of the players um, on the roster know about what this offense like does and then from Shiraka's point of view knowing this Penn, some of this Penn State personnel um, being a little familiar because the the scheme even though Brent Pry is gone hasn't changed too too much in terms of I think the the overall structure um, and he said it's kind of a it's a give and take it probably evens out um, in the end but we talked to some of the Minnesota players at Big Ten Media Days back in July. And, um, I remember talking to John Michael Schmitz, uh, the the big center for Minnesota, who's on a couple AP midseason All-America teams. And I asked him if he thought that Kirk Shiraka might have a little bit more motivation in this one. And he tried to downplay it. And but he had kind of that little smile. And I think that the Minnesota players, that uh, it's a very veteran heavy team. So a lot of these guys played for Kirk Shiraka in 2019. Uh, they're very familiar with him. Uh, PJ Flex said that when Kirk Shiraka came back, he went in, they had a meeting, he cleared the air, explained himself, and they all kind of moved on. So I think this is a really motivated group that likes Kirk Shiraka, wants to play for him, wants to win for him, and kind of reading between the lines from, from what we heard out at Big Ten Media Days this summer uh, Kirk Shiraka really wants to win, too. <laughs> I think that it would mean a lot to him to be able to come in um, and put in a good performance. So when you stack up Kirk Shiraka against this Manny Diaz defense, that's a unit that's trying to rebound and trying to prove itself after, um, you know, a, a bad outing last week. And then you put the Kirk Shiraka offense compared to the Mike Yersich offense. That's a group that's trying to get on track. That's a group that's trying to, to prove itself after, you know, about three games of, of kind of lackluster play. So there's going to be a lot of comparisons uh, to what to Minnesota and Penn state on both sides of the ball. Um, and I think that if Minnesota comes out 
um, and and is really able to move the ball and, and make some things happen. It's not only going to reflect poorly on the Penn State defense; it'll also reflect poorly on the Penn State offense, uh, given you know the personnel change that was made there and kind of the the program management as a whole. So I think there's a lot that goes into this. Uh, I think, and it goes, you know, it goes a little bit below just kind of the, the surface level of two guys on opposite sidelines. So it's an, it's an entertaining subplot. Obviously the players are the ones who make things happen. They're the ones who win the games, but I think Kirk Shiraka can really, really have an influence on this game and the perception of Penn state as a program. All right. Enough about the coordinators, enough about the quarterbacks. Let's talk about running backs because this unit is thin all of a sudden without Devin Ford. Cause I Holmes has been gone for a while now and, Tank Smith then takes a step up. You've got the three scholarship running backs coming out of the Michigan game. All were involved in some capacity last Saturday. But this week with our look at practice, we did not see Kevon Lee. Kevon, of course, started the first couple games this season. He scored the game-winning touchdown in the final minute at Purdue. But he's been relegated to a very clear number three role at running back. One carry last week. He had four snaps, uh, seeding so much work to, uh, to Nick Singleton and to Katron Allen. Let's start there, though, Mark. Two freshmen talking about a chance to reset. Neither of them could be pleased with what happened at Michigan. Six carries apiece, both under 20 yards. They're still really looking to take off in Big Ten play. Um, their biggest, you know, the most notable performance in Big Ten action thus far featured fumbles. And that was that was the, the big storyline there. So you've got that. And then we're wondering if Kevon Lee will be in uniform with this team on Saturday. And if he's not, what that could mean. Jaywan Sider has seen this thing slip away from him in terms of depth before back in 2020 when he lost Noah Kane on the first possession and lost Journey Brown a couple weeks before that. All of a sudden, we're not sure if they're going to have more than just these two true freshmen in terms of scholarship running backs in a pivotal matchup in the whiteout. Yeah, and it's not it's who you're matching up against, right? I mean, you're looking at the number one team in the Big Ten in time of possession, number five in the nation. Why is that important? Well, we just saw at Michigan what's, what happens if you can't keep on schedule. Uh, you know, you get off the field very quickly, your defense goes back on, and it kind of feeds right into that monster. So I think getting both of those freshmen going early, would you know, I think you got to get both of them in the game, not necessarily at the same time, but you need to get both of them in the game early so both can establish, establish some sort of rhythm, uh, allow them to get you to, to, to stay on schedule, which may set up some – uh, play action and that sort of thing later in the game. But the other thing is they have to take care of the details. You know, you mentioned the fumbles. Uh, obviously, that didn't, you know, they, they, they corrected that against uh, Michigan. But you got to be able to hold on to that pigskin in a, in a time of possession, you know, type of game. And, you know, the little things like pass blocking. Wouldn't mind seeing them getting them more involved uh, in the passing game as well. You know, they tried to do that at Michigan. Uh, you had one drop, I think. You had one uh, uh, offensive pass interference penalty when I think Singleton went too far down the field. So those are the little things that I think with these, when you have young backs, you know, dropping passes, fumbles, uh, you know, going too far down the field that leads to an offensive PI on another player. Those are the things that they have to tighten up. But both, it's going to be imperative that both of those guys play well against this particular opponent. 
either has the opportunity to seize that spotlight national setting, do a lot for their personal brands, do a lot for Penn State. And it would be a very timely moment for that to happen. Of course, as we're talking about all the pressure on the quarterback, if they can get the ground game going, maybe get some long distance runs out of Singleton or perhaps Katron Allen uh, alleviate some of those concerns. Uh, it's been a few weeks since we've seen that kind of balance for Penn State. And as you get deeper into Big Ten play, that becomes increasingly concerning. Uh, Daniel, over on the defensive side of the football, talk about trying to bounce back. They've got a lot to prove as well. Uh, you wrote about this earlier, and, and this is a lot of pride involved. I think we've all gathered from dealing with this unit, not just as it Manny Diaz, who has tremendous pride in himself as a professional, but guys like P.J. Mustafer, Jair Brown, uh, Curtis Jacobs, Joey Porter Jr. played a lot of football for this unit under a couple of defensive coordinators now. What, what stood out to you this week hearing from these players who clearly understand they're looking at a, a situation where Minnesota wants to keep punching them in the same spot, just like Michigan did, with a running back who was very much capable of delivering 200-plus yards if you're not ready to corral him. I think they're very aware that Michigan laid out a bit of a blueprint of how to beat them last Saturday and that Minnesota is a team, the way that it's constructed is perfectly suited to take advantage of the same things that, that Minnesota, that Michigan did last week, uh, given with what Minnesota has with its offensive line. And then it's running back Muhammad Ibrahim. I mean, he is one of the best uh, running backs in the big 10. I think he's one of the best most consistent running backs in the country, uh, 14 straight uh, games with at least 100 yards that he's played in. Uh, he missed time with a torn Achilles last year uh, and came back uh, and has looked good uh, for the most part. So that's a running back. That's an offensive line. That's an offense that probably looked at that Michigan tape last week and was kind of like, all right, this is exactly what we need to do. Um, there are holes here that we can take advantage of. This is how we can do it. So I think the Penn State defense knows that, you know, they were humbled. They were embarrassed last week. Um, they had to let it sit with them but before they were coming back. Um, and now it's here. And I think that when you talk about what Penn State needs to do, that linebacker group is really going to be in the spotlight. Tyler Elsden and Kobe King in the middle. Um, you look at Jonathan Sutherland at the Sam, Curtis Jacobs, Abdul Carter at the Will. I mean, that group of guys is going to be firmly in the spotlight because, um, you know, they it felt like they didn't make enough plays last week. They weren't consistently around the ball enough. And some of those guys have shown that when they're around the ball, they can make things happen. And that would be Curtis Jacobs and Abdul Carter. So I'm looking at the linebackers, uh, especially when you look at how they match up with Ibrahim and this Minnesota offense. They're a group that needs to bounce back really well. Obviously, the whole de defense needs to, you know, to put in a, a rebound performance, but the linebackers in particular with what you know Minnesota is going to do and how they're going to do it. All right, let's finish this episode up with our players to watch and game predictions. Mark, beginning with you, who are you going to be keeping a sharp eye on with this Nittany Lions group? Yeah, I'm looking at the stats right here. Parker Washington was passed for the team lead in catches last game. He's still the leader in, in yards uh, receiving. Has yet to, So 23 catches, 318 yards zero touchdowns. Uh, I think he's not played up to his expectations. I think this is a game where his ability to make things happen after the catch could come come into play. Uh, over on defense, I, I'll tell you, I, I keep going back to this, but I've covered Penn State football for a long time. And hearing what P.J. Mustafer said after that Michigan game, I mean, that was about as honest and forthright uh, you know, the whole embarrassment comment, I was blown away by the way he owned that. 
And I don't think he was happy with the way he played personally. And I think against this opponent, I think you're going to see P.J. Mustafer come through with a big game. Uh, in my prediction, and we'll be posting those uh, as we tape this, we'll be posting it later, a little bit later on Thursday. You know, I said it to me, this game is less about X's and O's. It's less about the whiteout. It's less about an opponent who just scored 10 points against Purdue a couple weeks ago. This is all about Penn State. And it's primarily about the Penn State defense and what it's able to bring. I think they have, I think they have the leaders. I think they have the leaders. We're going to find out for sure. Uh, but I'm going to put my faith in them and say Penn State wins 24 to 17. Daniel, what do you have for us? For the defensive side of the ball, someone to watch uh, in a similar vein as Mark, I'll go with J.R. Brown. Um, you need to see these leaders step up. Um, and I think that Tig is someone who's really led by example at times this year with, with how he's played on the field. You know, he said he had a plan to make sure that this didn't happen uh, two, two weeks in a row. Uh, we'll, we'll see if that works. So defensively, I'm watching him. And then offensively, I think it's partly because we we talked to him this week, but tight end Theo Johnson, you talk about those tight ends being involved. Um, I thought that he had some really interesting things to say about what he thinks he can do in this offense. His quote was that he believes he can add more value uh, in the passing game. And I think if you read between the lines, I think that you can kind of make the, it's logical to make the leap that, he thinks that he can be a weapon and that if he gets the ball in his hands, he can make some things happen. So I'll be interested to see uh, how much usage he gets. Um, if Penn State really does uh, target these tight ends. Um, one last thing on the tight end conversation. Uh, I appreciated Mike Yersich's explanation when it came to play action, the chip blocks. I thought that was all really good. Uh, but the one thing that popped into my head while Mark was talking earlier is all the times you've seen Theo Johnson split out in the slot all the times you see Penn State go empty backfield with two tight ends, both of them split out. So opportunities are there. We'll see if they take advantage of it. Um, overall for Saturday, I think Michigan, like I said, gave Minnesota the blueprint, but I don't think Minnesota is really talented enough to take advantage of it in the same way uh, across the board. I think they'll keep it close, but I'm going to put my faith in the talent on that Penn State defense. Um, might not be the prettiest game, but Really no Penn State game that these past two or three years has been pretty. Uh, so I'll go Penn State 24, Minnesota 21 uh, in a close one. All right, so we've got two picks for Penn State. I'll give you my prediction in a second. Start on the offense player to watch. I was going to go with Parker Washington. Mark, I'm with you. To go from being one of the more impressive number two wide receiver options across the country, certainly in the conference, to kind of just being another guy thus far on the offense that we haven't seen him cross that bridge that we thought we might. I'll go back to Nick Singleton. And, and the reason I go this, this way, I think if, if they handle their business offensively, it will be more so because Catron Allen, who's gotten more snaps in the last three weeks, I think he's the guy who ends up with 20 carries. If you're, if you're saying which running back gets 20 carries in a win, I'd go Allen in this matchup. But for me, you could see Nick Singleton have seven carries for 16 yards in the third quarter. It could be kind of a, a, a game where both offenses are sputtering. And then he could go 80 on the next play. And all of a sudden his stat line is, what, eight carries and, and almost 100 yards. So I think over the course of this matchup, he's the one. And I, I think there's a reason why you try to feed him touches. And, and I know you want to get both those freshman running backs involved, but six touches for Nick Singleton in a game where you are desperate for any kind of spark and your quarterback struggling to push the ball downfield, 
He is somebody you can work him in some space. And all of a sudden, you know, this is why you bring on board the top running back in the country. So he's the guy I'm going to be focused in on because I think if they are having a lackadaisical or ineffective day on offense, he could salvage it with one of those kind of moments. And defensively, how about Akeem Beeman? I'll go right next to you in the defensive line because James Franklin spent some time this week and then postgame talking about later members of this defensive line group. It's hard not to focus on Hakeem Beeman, the starter next to, to PJ Mustafer, who is not listed at 270 and, and won't tell if, if, if won't tell us if he is over 270 pounds. Um, I, I think you know he missed some plays last week where if he could have made them. Maybe it holds some drives. Maybe it prevents the bleeding a little bit. I don't think any singular performance was going to salvage that one last week. But Akeem Beeman, to me, I think there's a moment here for him to take another step. And I, I think in some ways it feels like reading between the lines, uh, he's being asked to do that this week. And, and if he can deliver, uh, it's going to go a long way against a very strong and, and, and a, a down-the-center-of-your-face rushing attack. And it'll mean a lot for them getting ready for that Ohio State matchup. And in terms of a prediction, I am also picking the Nittany Lions to come away with the win. Uh, I'm going 27 to 21. This matchup looked a lot different coming out of September than it did now that we're just a couple of days away from it. But I think many Diaz will come out of this matchup, earning some benefit of the doubt back after what happened at Michigan. I ultimately believe that neither of these offensive coordinators are going to come out and, and, and wow a lot of people with these offenses in this in this kind of a setting. Uh, but give me a lot of fingerprints from the freshman in this one. I think Abdul Carter will, will have a momentum swinging moment or two. Uh, as said, I think Catron Allen's going to be a force on the offense, and maybe Nick Singleton delivers some, some one of those pendulum swingers as well. Um, my quick question here is Drew Aller. Or do we see him involved before the first half? Do we wait until this offense spirals out of control do we see him involved even if the offense is tough? it's a question we've asked every week but it feels like a different kind of question right now where they are in the season so that's where i'm at we got three picks for penn state to win this one get to six and one then welcome in the ohio state buckeyes next saturday we will all be in beaver stadium uh so will a bunch of recruits go check out our coverage at lines 247.com it's not just our guy tyler calvaruzzo but Everybody chiming in. Uh, it's Brian Doan, Steve Wiltfong, Alan True from our amazing 24-7 Sports Recruiting Network. That will continue through the weekend as we get feedback from the experience. Uh, there's been a couple of five stars added in the last 48 hours, a bunch of four stars as well. So stay up to date with our VIP subscribers at lines247.com. For now, stepping aside, we'll continue our game week coverage. Big thanks to Daniel Gallant and Mark Brennan and to Ryan Burns from Minnesota's coverage at 24-7 at Sports. Uh, for now, I'm Tyler Donahue. This has been the Lions 24-7 Podcast.